In today's episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast, we are talking to Matea Polk from Reeducating Earthlings about her work in educating people about the challenges the planet faces and, of course, what value for money means to her. Welcome to the 25th, yes, 25th episode of VFM, The Pensions Podcast. Uh, I hope you're all very well wherever you are listening to us from. Uh, and as ever, of course, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, Darren Phil. Hello, Darren. Hello, Nico. How are you? Yeah, very well. You're in the garden today, I think. I am, yeah. We're having some um, work done on the house and there was lots of banging. Um, so as we had Matteo on, I thought I'd reconnect with nature and go and sit in the garden. So, you know, I can see the butterflies fluttering around and I can hear, hear the birds tweeted, tweeting and stuff. So, yeah, it's very nice. I might, I might make this a regular occurrence and I'm just, I, I, I'm just glad it's not raining. Can we hear if we if we just I mean we shouldn't create dead air but can we hear the birds tweeting in the background? That's the well, my noise reduction software is probably editing oh, it's out, so, so good, it's so effective. <laughs> <laughs> so and and Nico, I couldn't be happier for, to be doing another VFM podcast for you. Twenty uh, fifth episode. Well, that's um, that's more runs than the, the Aussie tail end got yesterday, wasn't it? Which I think you know they were <laughs> they got six out for twenty three at the end. So yeah, well. uh, a shout out for David Harris there, I think. Yes, <laughs> um, but uh, we, we shouldn't be gloating too much because we were probably well. We once we close at sixty-eight for three, so that's um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very much in the balance. I in, think it's uh, going to be in, in a fascinating summer. Indeed, um, indeed. But look, uh, we've we've already rambled on without saying hello to Matteo. Um, hello, Matteo. <laughs> Welcome. Hi. Yeah. Thank you very much, Dar Darren. I'm loving that that you're outside. I'm looking out the window now, and I'm thinking, oh. Uh, could Mr. be sat right in the sun Mr Trick there Mateo well I, I've actually yeah, had I to put the umbrella up because I didn't want to be in the sun um, so you don't want to burn do you that I don't want to burn no exactly exactly so you know it's that's a tough that. old world it is isn't it it's all about balance though isn't it Nico it really is um, so Mateo you are the founder of Reeducating Earthlings uh, congratulations yeah. and um, self-publisher of a number of books so educational books um, so uh, two titles to throw out to the listeners. Uh, I'm sure you should you should kind of get on it. Um, so will Mr. Sloth save the forest? Um, yes. Fantastic tension and dramatic uh, kind of uh, integration there. Uh, and will Mrs. Pangolin find freedom? Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, what, what, what on earth are they about? <laughs> well, broadly, these are topics that I, well, from my research, I feel have been completely missed from, you know, bookshelves. Um, mm. whether in high street stores or in schools and stuff. So yeah, will Mr. Sloth save the forest is, thank you. I'm glad that you thought it was quite dramatic. Um, mm. I love that. Uh, yeah, it's about um, deforestation in the Amazon, but specifically to do with the grazing of cattle. Mm. Um, right. So it's something that's quite close to me in like, my research and studying, which I'll probably talk about and go on about later on because I do get quite mm -hmm. Um, passionate about it um, but yeah it's basically about introducing different animal species so 
you've got toucans, sloths, um, tapirs that a lot of children actually aren't aware of, or and adults actually. Mm. Um, but yeah, just bringing in sort of indigenous knowledge and culture into the book as well, because they're hugely important in reconnecting to nature and the knowledge that they hold that we're all missing out on. Mm. Um, and introducing the topic, but in an imaginative way. So not too scary mm. and horrendous and depressing. It's it's a fun old story. When I when I when I first heard the title, um, especially on the soft mm. one, um, I thought it was all about conservation of energy because they don't move a lot. Do, they? <laughs> do you know what? I've missed something there, haven't you, I? You have, yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's there's definitely a link there. Maybe we could yeah. We maybe we could co-author the next one, Mateo. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, that's uh, it's also one of the seven deadly sins, right? So it is, it, isn't it? Like, yeah, um, it is. So will Mr. Wrath <laughs> overcome the freedom? I don't know. Um, so, We're getting lost Yeah, we are little. And then pangolins are kind of like Southeast Asia, aren't they? Is that right? So is it um, sort of... Uh, yes, and actually Africa. So the one oh, right. that, okay. uh, this book is actually tailored to Zimbabwe because okay. they are poached from Africa and sent across the world to wow. Southeast Asia. So uh, yeah, there you go. It's working already. Yeah. You learn yeah. something new. But um yeah, I think especially from COVID, there was a lot of talk about pangolins and kind of did it come from them, did it come from bats? Was it made in a lab? Mm. That's not elaborate. Mm-hmm. But um I just kind of put two and two together and thought, yeah, that could be a good story. And also they're just really cute and no one really realizes yeah. who they are, what they are and what they do. Um and also linking to the global wildlife trade as well. It's just horrendous. Mm. They're like the most traded um, animal in the world. And no one realises. So I just thought, you know what, I'll put it into a little book. And again, highlighting local people, what they're doing, wildlife trading, other species. And yeah, that's kind of it. Awesome. Brilliant. Brilliant. Awesome. And, and you did a colouring book as well, didn't you? Uh, oh, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't not. That was that was completely selfish of me because I love coloring. Right, it's a coloring book from the first book of like Will Mister Sloth Save the Forest, but yeah. it's um, a fact file as well. So you get to whilst you're coloring in the sloth, you get to learn all about him and you know the facts. And then the same with like indigenous uh, people and just scenes from the book. I don't know. I thought it yeah. might plant a few more seeds if you're coloring in the pages and yeah, not just reading them. So, great, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Well, I've got um, copies of these books, and um, mm. I did give the copies uh, to my kids. Did I sign them? them? Did I sign them? Um, I, don't I, I don't know if you did actually. Oh, um, maybe that maybe um, I can I can dig them out, and and the next time we meet up, I um, can get you to sign. Honestly, it won't happen. Buy more. Um, so available on Amazon and all good bookshops, is that right? Um, um, available on Amazon and my website. I haven't hit the uh, uh-huh. street shelves just yet, but you know, if anyone's out there, so so give us your website address. Give us your website address. It is www.re-educatingourthings.com. Fantastic. So, yeah. yeah so... There's a shop section and blog section and so on. So. Excellent. Brilliant. And I'm sure yeah. we'll come back to talking about the website. Um, in, in a, probably so but welcome welcome uh, you're you. very welcome you. to the podcast so our, our listeners will know the drill nico um yes and, and we have briefed mateo um so um, as ever we'll start <laughs> forewarned forewarned yeah um as ever we'll start with the news so uh, mateo what have you got for us well i thought i'd start off with the good old topic of sewage oh um <laughs> 
I know immediately. Oh, really? But yeah. it's um, <laughs> it's just really annoyed me recently. Um, basically, I hope everyone's aware, but a load of sewage was released by the press of a button into the River Mole, which kind of surrounds Gatwick Airport and S- Sussex and so on. Um, millions of litres was released, and subsequently thousands of fish have died. Mm. The vegetation is obviously dwindling and I just can't wrap my head around the fact that we're still that's still happening <laughs> like it, why it, it yeah it is crazy isn't it so um I love paddleboarding mm. and I love um going into the sea and um you know canoeing and and all of that and um you know there's some great apps out there now which sort of mm. give you sort of real real time updates on um, sort of sewage um, and sewage levels and you know risk and and, and stuff. Mm. Um, but you're right that it's just you know like you know you should be able to go um, to the beach and not yeah. um, worry about I don't know um, you know the quality of the water and stuff. You know, well, and the and... fact that sorry, but we're living in 2023, and I surf mm. a lot, and I'm going to be going down to Cornwall soon, and I don't want to have to be getting my board out and go, oh wait, guys, let me just check my app. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It is, it is crazy, isn't it? And 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 I think, um, you know, obviously a lot of our sewage and water treatment systems um, are very old. Yeah, so mm. a lot of the sewage system, if I understand it correctly, is sort of from the Victorian era, and they're mm. sort of dual dual systems. Um, so it does struggle when it rains a lot, but you'd have thought, mm-hmm. as you say, 2023 would have sorted it out by now. You know, serious yeah. under, a lack of investment in water infrastructure. You know, let's not get political about sort of the privatisation debate and stuff. <laughs> but blimey, you know, um, yes, it might have made lots of people a lot of money. Although some of the recent news about Thames Water, you know, puts that into, you know, well, they've uh, made a lot of money, of... mate. I mean, well, you know, they've, they've but what they've done with the money? Of well, they've well, paid they're some, currently yes. forty million pounds worth of debt. I mean, this in- instance, I'm talking <laughs> about, they've been fined three million. Yeah, but I think they already had a debt of thirty-seven. Right. So I don't know. It's just, and I think it well, was I mean, the... kind of. Yeah. The, th- the thing that, you know, this is such an opportunity, right? So so if you take sewage and essentially put it into digesters, it throws off methane. We've mm. got uh, Putin thre- threatening our gas supplies. And, yeah. you know, there is a source of methane that essentially we're just throwing into rivers to kill fish. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm. Uh, I think if you dry it, Okay, you probably need to heat it so that it doesn't contain any, um, essentially, DNA, right? So it doesn't have human viruses in. But there's also an amazing source of fertilizer there. Yeah, um, and You know, so it just the lack of imagination of, the, of, of a water company that would throw away such a great resource, you know, mm. yeah. it's just amazing. Um, and well, yeah, in Bill 2023. Did actually, sorry, he did mm. actually do that. He... Um, made a i think it was bill gates i might be lying i'm probably lying but it he made a loo that was for sort of third world countries that ingested the methane that was produced from people's Mm. poop and so on and it powered their homes and thinking that's such a small scale project Mm. that's helping nations that are suffering more than us but why can't we kind of translate that across nations and do something about it but yeah. yeah, we could go yeah. on for ages about sewage, which is 
Lovely. Well, and I'm sure our listeners uh, are fascinated. Um, I mean, the other thing, just on a climate change perspective, obviously methane is a much worse uh, greenhouse gas than CO2. Yeah. Um, so anytime you're not Very dealing hot. with it, um, then, then you know, the, it's like 75 times more um, potent as a greenhouse gas. It, it lasts less time in the atmosphere. Um, so the sun breaks it down a lot, lot a, a lot quicker. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, and it's a it's a resource. It's it, it when you burn it, it releases heat, and you turn that into electricity. Um, what what's the um? Like, excuse my ignorance here, Nico, but you are a, mm. a physicist, so I feel mm. like just oh dear, okay, not for a while. Question. Yeah, uh, go on. <laughs> but, but but if you burn methane, if you use methane, yeah. what is the um? What are the pollutants, if any, that come from that, or does it break down into something that you know um? is um more environmentally um sustainable yeah well you well you'll get co2 and water basically right um so uh it depends what you do with both of those things um but yeah so so you'll go from uh so so the greenhouse effect here we go right uh, the greenhouse effect is basically that um the, the the sunlight is at a higher wavelength because the sun is at a hotter temperature, so it looks white. Yeah, um, and then it heats up the earth to you know twenty something degrees, hopefully a bit less in future, um, and then that shifts the wavelength and it bounces back off. So the all the different gases in the atmosphere will be opaque or transparent to different wavelengths of light. Yeah, and that shift of the wavelength of light, there is a window. Uh, which uh, the idea is that there's a sort of uh, if you look at the spectrum of of, of lights admit uh, absorbed by the light uh, by the the uh, gases in the atmosphere, there is this there's this gap which CO two fills, um, and so the more and other greenhouse gases fills. So mm-hmm. um, I think water is sort of a, a, a above it, and um, below it you're into like very very deep radio wave uh, length uh, wavelength. So um, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the the, the, the gases that fill that are collectively called greenhouse gases. Um, and we need that gap to exist to essentially allow the earth to cool down, yeah. particularly at night, right? Um, so yeah, the whole of climate change and the greenhouse uh, uh, effect is that we've closed that window. And rather than letting that, that heat radiate back into space, it bounces around yeah. and it gets trapped. And that's what's heating us up over time. Yeah. So methane is very very opaque in that window it's like painting it black um uh mm. co2 is much much more transparent but there's much much more of it and it lasts longer so, um, from what you were saying earlier and it lasts longer yeah so because one of the things it gets battered by the sun like coming in and all chemicals at some stage will break apart um just because the sun is really really intense mm. so yeah methane will break down quicker than co2 uh in the, in that kind of bombardment from 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 the, from the sun um so yeah we just one of the one of the worst uh the greatest fears of climate change and tipping points is that there's a lot of methane trapped uh under the siberian tundra and we mm. think under uh various kind of cold seas um and at certain point the temperature might get so high and siberia last year was was one of the hottest places on earth um yeah. that that ice melts that the tundra is, is essentially ice and earth mixed together, so mm. it's like frozen it's mud. Permafrost, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that will mm. that if that melts, then essentially that gas can just bubble up, um, and so you should see these, you know, the one and a half degrees and the two degrees warming targets as being really the point where humans lose control of the atmosphere 
it's not that like it's great to be at one and a half degrees and it's terrible to be at two and a half degrees it's that we just don't know um that we we that it will just be about human activity heating the atmosphere after those kind of points mm. uh, and you just get you'll be unleashing the climate beast is what one of the, yeah. the kind of ways of framing it is um, so we got all of that from sewage i know it's amazing <laughs> but, isn't it and, and but Mateo, you wanted to talk about some of the climate records as well yeah well it kind of links to what you just said in siberia that in 2020 it reached 38 degrees which did forcibly melt the permafrost mm. there which as you so rightly said which was amazing by the way um <laughs> it released a huge amount of methane and carbon dioxide but yeah my my second news point would be that we've just experienced the hottest June on record. And yeah. it's an increase of 25% um, water usage. So where's that water coming from? Well, is it linked to previous sewage works? Are they then contaminated as well? It's just right. kind of, it's a full circle moment, but um, yeah, it's just things that people probably don't realize, but yeah, it's glorious once you're sat in your garden doing your podcast recording, Darren, isn't it? It's lovely, but actually, <laughs> These temperatures aren't natural no. or normal. Mm. I mean, if temperatures fluctuated over the years hugely. I get that. But actually, our summers are getting a lot hotter earlier mm. and later and in months that they shouldn't. And I think soon we might have Christmases where we'll be outside tanning like the Aussies mm. and <laughs> not cold and wrapped up inside. So I just well. thought that was quite a poignant sort of and it's. And it's not just the temperature, is it? It's the changeability of the weather as well. Like um, in yeah. terms of, you know, we, I, I don't know if it's just me, but it, it feels like um, it's rained a lot more as well, you know, mm. and we've had a lot yeah. more sort of intensive periods of rain, which we wouldn't necessarily mm. have seen. You know, it's, it's become a lot less predictable, hasn't it? Mm. Well, it's pushing it right to the extremes. It's not just, it's not really, like you, I know you can't manage the weather. That's a silly thing to say, but it's not, kind of streamlined anymore it's just mm. pushing it right to one extreme to the other and mm. the tipping points are really we're closer and closer to them whether that's the one to two degrees warming target i don't even know if you could say target but mm. you know we're we're rapidly getting to the point where we're going to be 2.53 mm. and it's yeah it's scary <laughs> it's scary at yeah. the end of the day i love i love the sun trust me i love a tan i think it's great but yeah I think people need to realise that these these records aren't really right. No, no. But you have got some good news for us, haven't you, Matteo? Yes. I'm not completely depressing, which is amazing. Amazing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's great. I am quite a nice, happy-go-lucky individual most of the time. Um, no, I thought this was really cool. So in Devon, beneath the trampoline, one of a parent went outside. Don't know if it was mum, dad, so on. But um, they went outside and thought, oh, they left a peg or something out beneath the uh, trampoline. It must have blown underneath. Went to pick it up and it was actually a bright pink grasshopper, which <laughs> is the first to be found, I believe, within the UK and beneath the trampoline. So I just thought that was quite cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah. uh, genetically pink, mutated. Uh, 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 pink grasshoppers, there you go. We've uh, now got pink grasshoppers roaming around. Are they common? Hmm. Are they coming elsewhere? Or is this is is this a UK phenomenon? It's an abnormal colouring. Right. I, I, I haven't done great research, no, but no. it's an abnormal colouring, 
and it's a rare genetic mutation. But again, could this be caused by climate change? Could be, you know, it? it's affecting species mm. um, reproduction, adaptations, and so on. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was quite yeah. cool. Something, something um, different. It is cool, <laughs> and I I think uh, it should spark cocktail. Uh, creators to think about what a pink grasshopper is if they haven't already done it um, because it sounds delicious particularly in these hot hot summers um, <laughs> I'll take a pink grasshopper um, I was also thinking you know that. so has the but I'm just thinking the, I'm just thinking I'm just thinking a headline what is now. it what is yeah. it Nico Nico, um, Nico has or Nico consumes the only ever found pink grasshopper like you know you're not going to be great <laughs> for your image Nico Oh God! I mean, I'm not. Maybe doing not my consuming image any the actual grasshopper. No, exactly. I know. No, um, uh, I'm there not. Could be I, some I, kind I of routinely like do. Margarita out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm seeing gin. I'm seeing gin. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think um, maybe maybe our our listeners should write in to us with their cocktail recipes. What is a pink grasshopper? And uh, Darren, should we should we we should spend an episode together because it's been a while, it hasn't it? <laughs> um, making pink grasshoppers. We could um, do it in my garden, and okay? Yeah, we, we can, could we do can, it we, in we, your we, garden. We can we can try um, different versions out, and obviously we'd be. This is them. a VFM special. It could be. This is the pink grasshopper episode. All right. Oh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm can loving... I be a part of this? You can. I don't want to miss out. Absolutely. No, exactly. Absolutely. More than welcome. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we're going to need lots of uh, tasters. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah do write in what are we vfmpensions at gmail.com and uh let us know what a pink grasshopper is to you Indeed. and um spoiler alert do not I use tequila because i hate that <laughs> I, I just i cannot take a tequila drink um so you know you will not win there's no prizes but there's do you like you're not a tequila drinker my dad well i don't mind it in a cocktail i like a fruity really? like a sweet cocktail but i think i'd pick tequila over Vodka or gin. Oh wow! I think in a I... cocktail. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, so um... we're all different. We're all different. You know, it's great. All right. So if you want to win your vote, uh, listener, if you want to win Mateo's vote, then uh, you know, include tequila. There we go. All right. No, I think it's we'll um... on your side. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever been on my side before, but oh, I don't want to be the victim. All right, oh, um, no. Darren. <laughs> What have you brought in for us? I think that's that's quite a, a, a hard act to follow in a way. Um, but I'm, I'm going to, you know, go to, you know, um, some research that was released by the pensions regulator earlier this week. I think mm. it was on the 4th of July, um, Independence Day. Um, and, and the research was um, small DC schemes failing to deliver value for members. That was the headline. So um, a couple of things to note in here. Uh, pensions regulator finds 64% of smaller schemes being unaware of their value for member assessment. So this is mm. the assessment that they're required to do if, um, if they've got less than 100 million of assets. And I think um, it demonstrates that, you know, what a job the regulator and DWP actually have to do just to get the message out to these schemes that they need to consider value for money. You know, if you if, if, if you have that much uh, problem communicating with your regulated community, then, you know, it does say a, quite a bit about the, the overall value, uh, the efficiency, you know, and, and the, the performance of these schemes. Um, yeah, yeah. So I found that, you know, 
well, it, it's not news as such. We we know it's happening, but it does show the importance of the you know the the, the framework, but also to the value for money for framework, but also the importance of the regulator and the DWP you know acting um, in this space. Um, mm. The other bit of the yeah. research as well, um, which was which was a survey um, research of three hundred and forty two DC single employer schemes um, as well as twenty three master trusts um the research found just under a quarter of schemes met the key governance requirements for the trustee boards to assess whether member-born charges and transaction costs provided value for members um that's up slightly from 21 percent in the previous survey um but you know but but again the key regulatory requirement and um it's not mm-hmm. being carried out by the vast majority of of, of you know of schemes um, obviously, yeah. we had um, a lot of members covered because, you know, um, I would imagine most master trusts, although, Nico, you were looking at the stats earlier, and we would yeah surprised that not all master trusts. Um, yeah, so 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 because uh, I read it, I saw this through Henry's blog. Uh, uh, I know you'll be listening. Hi, Henry. Um, and yeah, so he had he copied charts out of the press release or the report um, and had 78 percent of master trusts. Um, and then uh, I stopped you from explaining before the recording what that meant because we thought we should save it for a recording. So, so what was that, Darren? Did it, did it, am I putting you on the spot unfairly? <laughs> uh, probably, um, but, but 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 the but, but what the PTPR was saying was that the size yeah. of scheme obviously had an impact on its ability to meet this requirement. Yeah, um, you seventy-eight know, percent of master trust met that requirement. Okay, mm. but that means twenty-two percent of the master trust surveyed didn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, in a framework where master trusts have to be authorised, yeah, yeah, and there's increased yeah. supervisory and regulatory scrutiny of these entities. Like, I'm astonished that's not a hundred percent. Well, and with, so there's thirty. What is it? Thirty-five master trusts. I can't do the maths off the top of my head, but we're talking about what five, six, seven master trusts who have failed to do this interesting um right so you know this is a regulated industry why is the regulator not naming and shaming them yeah yeah um and fining them and where are the sanctions what is the point of this bloody system if it's if it has no teeth yeah for exactly the purpose of the system anyway there we go yeah and if you if you're not getting all the master trusts to do this then you've got no chance with the long tail of small schemes no. Oh, I've got two butterflies playing outside my patio window. Uh, oh. That's so weird. I just had that as well. Oh, did you? Oh. Yeah, I sent them over to you. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got for us, Nico? Yeah, um, so look, I've got this ABI open letter um, put savers at the heart of plans to boost pension investment, which is part of a bit of a theme, I think, on this on this podcast. And obviously for anyone... Uh, kind of following the UK pensions news. Um, so, yeah, the Association of British Insurers has joined the pylon of saying essentially that, um, you know, DC schemes should be investing more in um, uh, in the UK, uh, should be investing more in illiquid assets, um, long-term assets. And, um, yeah, the, I guess, so as I say, it's a sort of pylon, so um, a lot of things have been kind of said before, but the kind of eye-catching bit here um, is that they talk about uh, end the cost is king culture, um, which I think we've talked a lot about, Darren. We have. Um, and, and we certainly recognise. Um, 
But at the same time, I sort of felt that this is something that, you know, the members of the ABI, the insurers, the providers have sort of been partly and quite majorly responsible for. So um, I thought there was, is it hubris? It's the other way around, isn't it? It's mm. like, um, it's sort of walking away from a mess that you created um, and sort of <laughs> pointing at others to clear it up. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of history of low cost is that the government, um, you know, realised that the insurers were ripping people off uh, through uh, the 80s and 90s, uh, introduced stakeholder, which sort of helped, but not majorly. Uh, the insurers continued to allow people to do closet tracking, where essentially you pretend to be an active manager and rip people off in fees and, and actually give them passive performance. Um, and eventually, you know, the government lost its rag and said, you need to have a charge cap. Mm. Um, and it was at that point that the kind of, the industry, the, the switch was flipped on, right? Mm. And, um, you know, a lot of the insurers had got to a place where they could do passive well, um, they could do multi-asset passive well, and therefore they could drive the price down and compete on price. Um, and, you know, particularly that kind of shift as well from retail uh, to institutional mm. institution or, or workplace drove through this kind of price piece. But I didn't hear them, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago going, no, 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 you should spend more money on on asset management because, um, you know, we can do better than passive because, you know, we should be investing in the UK. I haven't I haven't heard those messages as they divested from the UK and the liquid assets. Right. Um, so, yeah, now that the government is talking about it sort of loudly, and I guess you can get a high five and stand on the steps of number 10 or 11. Um, here we go. The ABI is on the pylon. So we'll see whether it results in anything. Uh, but yeah, I thought the cost is king phrasing was quite, quite interesting when, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they put that monarch in place, right? They certainly didn't, didn't bring them down. There we yeah. go. Am I too unfair, Darren? <laughs> no, I think um, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's one of those ones where I think, um, you know, it's, it's an industry wide thing. You know, and different parties and different parts of the industry have all sort of contributed to um, this problem. We obviously had um, a charge cap with stakeholder. Um, somehow that got removed um, when the stakeholder or some of the stakeholder regulations got repealed, and um, there was the potential for um, high charges in in, in auto enrolment schemes. And I yeah. I remember at the time some particularly aggressive large insurers saying, well, you know, a charge cap of 75 basis points was too high and it should be a lot lower. Um, right. You know, so I think that, you know, like we've, we've, as you say, we've talked about this a lot on this podcast. It's about balance. Um, things move with uh, political priorities and regulatory priorities. I think it was probably right that um, we had this clamp down on cost, um, but we probably overshot. And I think, um, you know, some of the work that the DWP and the TPR are doing to you know, have a more rounded assessment framework for this will undoubtedly be a good thing, you know, even if um, sometimes we might question some of the wider political motivations around this. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see whether, I mean, I've, I've taken a look at Lyft, so that's the long-term investment for technology and science. Um, uh, so that's like a government initiative to try and stimulate, um, I guess, venture capital. Um, but there's there's number. I mean, there's, that's a big big old bucket of lots of different things um, mm. to to be a part of the DC investment strategy. Um, but you know, DC schemes, I, I think, would see that as really 
difficult to invest in as a single kind of line strategy really really difficult mm. um so lift as a plan um seems to me to misunderstand the market uh to be honest um we haven't have we oh, we did talk about lifts a little bit um so i've looked at it further um and um you know really i think dc schemes are quite happy to have a liquidity in they're probably okay happy to have more uk stuff in mm. um but what they really want is a kind of one size oh sorry one wrap that they need to manage which would be a multi-liquid fund i think right um probably was some listed stuff so like as soon as you drive below that line and say no you, you can have a separate venture capital fund and a separate private equity fund and a separate uh, property fund or whatever private credit um then the dc schemes eyes roll and go well how on earth do i manage all of that and the platform doesn't help either so um yeah the the the, the abi here is name checking lifts um and i i think it's going to be really difficult to see much money going into those funds right um because they're sort of too focused um you can see that focus in the bigger funds uh, yeah. but the the structure of it is is a bit wrong with it right interesting interesting well we're half an hour into the podcast already uh, we've covered sewage heat butterflies um grasshoppers grasshoppers um tpr and the ABI, <laughs> um, but we haven't asked all Mateo. The all the important, well, no, but <laughs> we haven't done the most important thing, which is to ask Matea how how you got involved in this industry, how you got involved in pensions, and um, and you know what got you to to think about um, creating re-education Earthlings. So 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 perhaps yeah. you could give us the you know the elevator pitch on that, Matea. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean what you both have just been speaking about has really got me thinking. I kind of went off into my own little space in my head, going deeper into kind of, do you talk about value for money and so on? I'll talk about mm. it later on, but value for money and nature is something quite, um, quite poignant. But yeah, I'll touch on that later. But yeah, re-educating earthlings was, um, it kind of came out of COVID, which I'm really, I'm obviously not grateful for the pandemic at all, but mm. I don't if if the pandemic hadn't have happened, I don't think I would have even started it or had the time to be fortunate enough to jump into it. So mm. yeah, I was fresh out of a master's, so I did animal welfare science, ethics and law, mm. and was kind of de delving deep into sort of intensive animal agriculture and global wildlife trading, poaching, animal sentience, understanding the just them in general their brain functions the psychology behind what they do how they work together in different ecosystems in the wild and domestication so yeah a lot and i tailored towards i focused on intensive animal agriculture and i think that's kind of where the first book has stemmed from that sort of passion behind that but yeah i came out of the masters and thought actually what I've just learned was voluntary, like I chose to do it. Mm. And a lot of it is completely new and completely fresh. And mm. predominantly the causations of the crisis we're in, whether that be climate change or the biodiversity crisis at the moment. So I kind of wanted to put my anxiety over the situation because it was really hot then of unintended across the media and so on that, oh wait, there actually is a climate crisis. and. What are we going to do about it? So I wanted to put that anxiety into action and came up with re-educating earthlings. So it kind of started with the picture books and 
tailoring towards schools. So I wrote down, I sat down one day and just wrote down a load of topics and kind of tailored them into different storylines. So I've got about 20 ideas if anyone's listening and wanting oh, awesome. to publish me. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got about 20 different book ideas and so on. So they're just loads out there to kind of cover and especially with like the gaps in the school curriculum and when it comes to environmental education and mm. yes reduce reuse recycling is important and obviously the plastic plastic pollution is important but i think there's a lot more out there that we need to turn towards and cover when it comes to why is there this climate crisis why are we why have we now lost over 69 percent of biodiversity um you know, and that number's ever increasing, even with people's efforts in conservation. It's it's a scary time to be a lover of nature and animals because I feel mm. like in my life, by towards the end of it, if I'm lucky enough to have a long life, how much will be left? And that's something that mm. I don't really want to have to consider and, you know, feel anxiety over. So yeah, I turned to school. So I published the self published the books and just kind of emailed all the schools locally to me and was mm. lucky enough to be able to go into a few of them and after doing a few lessons so a lot of them would i sat down so for one example i sat down in one school and kind of gave them the spiel and told them all the topics that i'd like to cover and i think that i missed and the teachers hand on heart they turned to me and said please just teach them about climate change because we don't know how to and it was right. then that i sat there like wow okay yeah. This is it's empowering because I'm here and that's why that's why I've started the platform but also it's scary that the teachers were turning to me and saying that um I'm not saying all schools are like that but I feel it's kind of a pattern that's emerging from my work mm. so far and then once I did teach a few lessons the teachers would turn to me afterwards and go what you just taught you know about um I can't even think right now say intensive animals, all the facts and the figures that I give, they would turn to me and go, is that, is that real? Like, is, is that actually happening? Like, I didn't even know that that was a thing. Mm. And I'd be sat there like, wow, okay. Um, so then I think that's when I realised that it's not just children <laughs> that need some help a bit more, maybe covering the gaps in education, it's adults too. So I think yeah. that's where I kind of got my passion for turning towards which is scarier because adults have the children have a say but adults can be quite um opinionated as we as we all yeah. know we're we're able to have our opinion but when it comes to environment and so on it can be quite um hot it can become quite heated so um yeah yeah then i was lucky enough to just network my way around and kind of get the word out and I was asked to do a speech at Wells Fargo for their green team, their kind of green session. Right. And luckily from then, I was then, I did the speech, it's our disconnection from nature that kind of highlights the reality of the situation and how I believe education can kind of reconnect us to what matters. And then I was lucky enough to kind of be linked to people at Cassis Investing Services. And mm -hmm. I was lucky to get a partnership with them and, been working my way into sort of pension schemes and asset management and offering workshops and speeches and talks and just trying to plant as many seeds to as many people on these issues whether it be deforestation and the power of investing within it or mm. just the biodiversity crisis in general or 
yeah i mean there's just so much to cover and i think if you just pick one topic and delve into it or the humanitarian side of the climate crisis that's a huge one that people can connect to it can kind of open our eyes to what's on offer especially when it comes to finance and putting some money behind things that matter so yeah it's a huge it's a huge thing that i'm trying to cover and it's kind of it's not specific it's kind of it's broad and i'm able to kind of talk about anything to do with the crisis and it can be quite overwhelming in a way but yeah i just i'm just trying to tell people that no one can do everything but someone can do something and i think we should all try and do that something especially today when it when we're talking about the climate crisis so well i've i've it broadly i've I've seen you speak a number of times mateo oh it's great um and and it's it's such good work and yeah, it's um, it is amazing uh, and um, it's very um, inspiring. Um, and um, you know, and I think you've got quite a following within the pensions industry uh, now, in the sense of you know, um, you're, you're getting around the circuit, you're speaking at lots of events, you're getting the messages out and stuff. Um, you know, yeah, which is which is absolutely fantastic. So, you know, well done you mm-hmm. on 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 on, on doing you. that and and developing something. You know, um, that first was for kids. Yeah, but actually, it's um, translating very nicely into the pensions industry. So that's um, you know, that's, yeah. that's, the big kids need some yeah. education exactly. as well. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we saw you speaking at London Zoo, didn't we? Which was a uh, uh, one of the oh, fantastic. Yeah, the DG Publishing events. So that was Iris, wasn't it? Was that yeah, the Impact um, and Responsible Investment Summit? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which was a great day, um, and uh, I thought you were really inspiring on stage. Um, and yeah, because we've uh, we've we've bumped into each other a couple of times, but that was the, I think that's the, the first time I heard you speak. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just so powerful. Yeah. Um, are you oh, finding how are you? How are you finding the reaction? Because obviously, you know, the older you get, the kind of more potentially you should feel guilty about this stuff right so so do you get pushback is there are there people who kind of hear what you're uh, saying and say it's not me gov and you know or it's not true right I mean, yeah. do, you, do you hear those kind of things a lot of people it's a mix some people just kind of sit there with the sort of shocked oh no mm. this is actually real sort of expression on their face which i kind of feel like my job's done then because yeah they seemingly realize something is happening which is great um or something that they didn't realize before but yeah some people have the majority i mean the majority of people as like you've just been have been really supportive and really kind and kind of accept the situation but it's easy to be like oh gosh yes that's it's so um it's so worrying but then drive home and continue to eat meat every night and you know invest in fossil fuels um it's it's just making them really think and act upon their thoughts and that like act upon their morals in a correct sort of way we all have this sort of moral consciousness that mm. may seem quite la da but it's actually really important and when you can align your morals to actually ignorance isn't bliss we need to do something about this because like what i've said we're rapidly heading towards this above a two degree warming mm. um target it's but yeah i think on the whole people have been really good of course you get the odd person and i can't name names because i can't remember but um you do get the odd person that gets the hackles up and wants to say something but i love, love that i love the discussion i'm open to everyone's sort of views and 
it kind of opens my eyes to other points of views as well but please yeah well if you ever see me and you want to you know have a debate or a discussion I love it because it's I'm learning as well from whatever anyone else says it's not I don't know everything and I don't see everything correctly it's just I'm trying to paint a general picture of what's happening to people whether it be biodiversity humanitarian and so on so yeah I mean people have been great people are like really wanting to learn more I think there's just a bit of a people are apprehensive to kind of act on it because I don't think people really know how to in a way people don't know how to approach Mm. it especially when it comes to money and investing but I'm sure you guys could probably say a lot more on that one uh, what's your view on um what's your view on greenwashing uh within the industry because like you're you're obviously getting a lot of traction yeah and people really want mm. to talk to you and that which is absolutely fantastic um but you know is there a danger that everyone just goes to the to the next sort of thing um to be seen to be doing the right thing you know are, are we are, are, is the industry actually even starting to tackle change or does it um does it just spend so much time talking about it, you know, and, 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 and speaking about the issues and not enough time, you know, doing something mm-hmm. about the issues? What's your view on that? Um, greenwashing is huge. I think it has reduced because people are actually, they are realising how to make change within the industry. But and and also, you're, you're probably really likely to get called out on it as well now. Um, yeah, yeah, I think as well, like people, the education gap is reducing, like people do know more now and people are quite quick to call others out because in a way it's a whole eco ego thing and that look we're we're acting on this like we're we're working towards x and as soon as someone else isn't they're quite quick or quite quick to call them out and Mm. kind of they're they're wanting to go to good i'm not being completely pessimistic but greenwashing was huge i mean i remember at one conference i went to I was going around the different stands and kind of saying, what are you doing to be responsible and so on when it comes to climate? And one standard just came to me and said, oh, yeah, well, we've gone paperless. So, you know, and it's like, oh, it's just not, <laughs> you can't brand yourself on we've gone paperless when you're dealing with millions or billions of pounds worth of assets and mm-hmm. so on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, green, oh, green Russia, I think it will continue to, it will never diminish completely. Um, I just think that hopefully with more education and more connection to particular issues, we can kind of reduce it further because Mm. people can actually connect to one particular issue and act on it and not just say, oh, well, we're going to tackle this, that and that. And then it just doesn't look very reachable, you know, but I think deforestation is quite, I mean, I've got a book out on it, so I can't really, I can't really comment, but, you know, plant trees and so on, like with every pound you invest, we're going to plant a tree. And it's actually like a lot of companies aren't planting trees. They're just saying they are, which is quite a general greenwashing issue. There's a lot more that you could do when it comes to local community conservation or food waste and so on. Right. just in other countries yeah. but in the uk so it's everything kind of links together once you realize like you wouldn't think food waste would be a environmental issue but we're producing far too much food and then it's all going to waste well where's the food coming from yeah uh, intensively yeah. farmed land 
what was that land? Well, it once was a rainforest, but we thought we needed to chop the trees down to, to plant crops. And, you know, it's just we're doing too much and not saving what we have and what we not kind of we're mindlessly consuming, thinking that we need to with a rapidly increasing population. And it's actually if we take a step back and reconnect and I feel like these issues could kind of reduce a little more but i know there's a lot more to it than that that's quite a broad yeah. summary but, but yeah it, that's Mateo, so, so, Mateo, so it's not just books um you've also so, so tell us a bit about the website and the kind of broader platform of re-educating earthlings um you you, yeah, you so, can like tailor sessions for people and yeah tell it tell us a bit mm, more well, yeah it, it started out with books i mean i'm a lot i'm a i love to write i happy to call myself a, a writer I mean people mm. may not think that with picture books but I've got a few um adult sort of styled <laughs> that sounds wrong doesn't it adult that's that's there's a whole Spotify categorization we we had we we had Ian McQuaid talking about Lycra last week so oh, yeah, this, this, uh, this uh this this podcast is going rapidly downhill Oh well, yeah. did it start at the top of the hill? Yeah, well. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry. There, but you know, uh, older fiction, uh, non-fiction, you know. But um, yeah, no, I love to. You'll probably realise I love to talk and kind of get my points across and just chatting with people generally. It's not. I don't like to be too formal. So holding a, a workshop with like a small team within a trust or a company or you know. It's, it's great because you can really open up some conversations and get them to reconnect to particular issues and get their point across that they otherwise would never have discussed in that sort of job within a bank or, you know, it's it's brilliant to be able to come in as a third party and have these discussions. So mm -hmm. whether it be speeches of you guys, as you guys have seen me give, which I really, really enjoy, um, or smaller workshops or kind of lessons in schools or just a brief sort of powerful I'm just open to whatever really however I can get some plant some seeds it's mm. there's so many different ways and I think that's what's great with what I do it's not fixed it can be outside in the garden or outside of the office or mm. in the office and I can kind of open up these discussions and yeah but I think it's, it's predominantly workshop styled or speeches that I kind of offer to companies and so on because as I've as I've said companies don't really know how to approach the situation they know they know they need to act on something environmentally and they're wanting to make a difference and do something differently but they don't know in a way how to so if I can look at your sort of talk to the team as a whole and see what you're interested in or kind of look mm -hmm. at your initiatives and passions and so on I can kind of link up a workshop into what that company or finance sector is already doing what they're already saying they might already be invested in something but we could link that into something new like a new topic of discussion and kind of just kind of show how everything's connected and you know plant some seeds which is really important right. so yeah. And, and how should people who are interested get in contact with you? Is it sort of over LinkedIn? You've got a, a, a form on the website. How, how, what's the best way for people to, to um, start the journey of those workshops with you? I mean, please go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn. Just my yeah. name is Hair Pork, P-A-U-C, bit of a funny surname. Um, mm -hmm. 
yeah, LinkedIn's great. Obviously, the website, you can email and contact on there. So it'd be great to have some people checking out the website. But I also have an Instagram, so read.educating.earthlings. However you feel comfortable, really, but please do reach out and um, would love to chat, as you probably understand from this podcast, <laughs> me waffling on. <laughs> but yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. Well, look, I can say to all of our listeners firsthand that, um, uh, you know, do reach out. Uh, you're, you're setting up a really inspiring session um, on a vital, absolutely crucial topic. So, um, yeah, please, please take advantage of Matea's offer um, because time is running out. Right. Uh, and it's also running out in this podcast, isn't it, it Darren? It is, Nico. It is. We haven't asked our main question. I think we've we haven't. A, we have, I think we've covered a lot of stuff, but... Yeah. Um, how can we frame the question to um, make sure that we keep up our record, um, <laughs> making sure we ask the question without um, having to redo the podcast? So, well, um, I think we just ask it, mate, and um, see what Mateo Mateo says. is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what does value for money mean to you in pensions, Matteo? <laughs> oh gosh. Well, of course, I'm gonna I'm gonna just tailor it to environment and nature. But I think questioning value itself. What does it mean? Um, mm. do, how do you value money? Well, how do you value nature? Do you value nature if your money isn't working towards a healthier planet or a healthier particular ecosystem or a community that is suffering because of climate change? Um, that's immediately what I <laughs> what I think of. You guys would probably say, you'll probably agree, but say something completely different towards pension and so on, because I'm slightly more clueless um <laughs> about pensions and so on but i think really i think we just need to think of how if if we continue in the way that we are in which okay eventually 70 percent, 80 percent, 90 percent of biodiversity will have declined that means the ecosystems around them will decline because there'll be no harmonious like equilibrium between that the wildlife and the ecosystems well what do we rely on predominantly we rely on nature every day to eat, for medicines, for resources, to continue in our lives. We need a healthy functioning environment, right? And if we yeah. can't value our money and value nature harmoniously, I don't think that we're going to get very far. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of how I would... For me, valuing, getting value for money is investing in say, nature-based solutions and so on today. I don't see, I understand that we've got to this point because of fossil fuels and I wouldn't be holding this phone right now, mm. tuning on this podcast yeah. and so on without fossil fuels. I completely understand that. But I think, yeah, I think to value your money that you're lucky enough to have is to put it into systems that are going to work with nature forward not against it so we can get the benefits and kind of leave it yeah. behind um yeah you so, can't so put a bridging... price on nature that's what i say <laughs> good thank you um yeah so just bridging back onto pensions because the one of the big issues that so um uh that there's a there's a consultation now Matea. Our, our listeners will know this all very well um, so uh, the, the, the government is currently designing what value for money means to pension schemes in terms of how the regulators mm. should go and assess it. Um, missing from that is sustainability. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, you know, there is nothing in the measures that they've proposed which says essentially how destructive or creative 
is the pension scheme and its investments mm. uh, in terms of biodiversity, in terms of climate change, in terms of social impact. Um, you know, that that's all kind of out there. Um, mm. So uh, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit worrying. Um, and bit, obviously yeah. we're well, I, yeah, I, I guess I'm very English about trying to uh, play down my existential no, no, dread. Of... <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, because I, I, the, you know, we can't put a price on this, but the only mechanisms pension schemes have involve money. Um, so we've got this, this is a paradigm problem, right? So, um, you know, particularly as it comes through the city and the financial services sector, um, you know, what was it? Cost is king from the ABI. Well, well, cash is king, right? This is the only sort of self-worth that, that the financial services businesses have and a lot of the people in them as well. Um, you know, they think you're a better person if you're paid more. Um, and uh, that kind of self-denial of the, the human experience and, and the kind of experience of a human in nature and just the realization of the system of nature actually enabling you to breathe and drink water and all of those sorts of things. Um, it's, it's sort of, it's almost so far outside of the machine that I just don't know how we bring it in, right? It, it, we have to, I'm, I'm an evolutionary guy. I don't want there to be a revolution, but it's really tempting to say we have to just smash this machine. Um, and start again um, mm -hmm. and we need to we, we people like me trying to find the bridge right that's what I try to do um, how do we actually make make that revolution not happen and, and just allow the the world somehow to survive and um, you know for people to have pensions without destroying the world um, that's it's a big it's a big difficult problem right yeah I think uh, yeah I think a big part of that sorry is accountability and with the government mm. you said they've completely missed out sort of sustainable aspect mm. i don't even in a way like the word sustainable because sustainable is just sustaining something that we've already done and where are we at this point it's not a good place to be so it kind of needs to be regenerative but government aren't being accountable for what's going on what what they're funding what they're subsidizing and so on especially when it comes to agriculture but i think a lot of big yeah. A big thing that I've found in the short time that I've been involved in pensions and so on is transparency. And I don't think that people's pensions are being, the schemes are being too transparent to them. And perhaps if they knew exactly what their money's working towards and being invested within, okay, the returns are good, but actually in the long run, would they care more about the returns or the health of their family and their children? Yeah. Because their children mm. may not have a very clean, green future. So it's kind of, it's hard because you can see the immediate monetary <laughs> um, benefits, but also, yeah. I don't know. So if, if they knew more about sort of the solutions, nature-based and so on, that they could be working. And then if you all turn towards it and got a better return, I don't know, it's... Well, it's, it's, it's a huge topic, it, isn't it? It's huge, and, <laughs> and we are running out of time. But it, it just, yeah. um, there was a story that really angered me yesterday um, on the BBC News website. And, and I think it goes to the heart of your, the, the, one of the points you were making there, Matteo, about short term versus long term. Mm. Um, and um, the, it was all about oil giant Shell warns cutting production dangerous. Mm. 
yeah mm. so um mm. and next to it on the climate site um you've got uh, greta thunberg uh, thunberg charged for blocking oil port um and then you've got a uh, world sea's hottest day since records began so you know it's not just that we had the hottest <laughs> june you've got the world sea's hottest yeah. day since records began on monday the 3rd of july um so yeah. like you know th- these are the th- these are the messages that are getting out there um and you know i think that you know if you've got the ceo of one of the uk's largest companies yeah um basically you know getting mm. out there saying that um you know um he disagrees you know basically saying things like um you know cutting investment in new oil and gas production you know um he disagrees with 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 with, with that and and they're going to keep their production up till um you know 2030 and stuff so i think it's yeah. um you know like we we really need to get people aligned on this stuff don't we mm. yeah yeah i mean it's so <laughs> Probably, worrying yeah so you know, so, it, but it, nobody, one, 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 who, who stands so, up, right? But, but one, who, who stands up to that CEO, right? That's because yeah. the BBC is very balanced inverted commas, right? So it sort of just takes the press release and goes, you know, rolls its eyes, right? That's the issue. Well, but but they so because I guess one of the issues with the BBC is that they are you know overtly neutral, and that's a whole other podcast to discuss yeah. whether they are or not, right? But mm. but but so. You know, where is the media which is kind of biased for the planet, right? That's, that's, mm. Where is the media that kind of, which is mass consumed, uh, says, hang on, guys, you know, these CEOs are really talking about their own bonuses yeah. um, and not, you know, yeah. the interests of the, the consumers. But if you, you know, drive a petrol car, then actually they don't really have your interests at heart. They have mm. the, the, mm. the remuneration of, of their bonus structure at heart. That's why they're drilling for more oil. Um, yeah. I mean, on the flip side, we obviously we need energy, um, yeah, yeah. and uh, we need to uh, electrify the, the the developing world, right? So we will need more energy, um, possibly the same amount of energy, but better distributed, or possibly less energy mm-hmm. in the future. But you know, there are places in the world with you know no electricity, who uh, the basics of life that are, that are just we totally forget in this country um, yeah. are our privileges. Um, you know, just just not available to them. Um, so I, for a long time, I've been given to a charity called Solar Aid, which uh, essentially gives uh, sub-Saharan African children uh, lights, which are generated by a solar cell. Um, so it, it, it's, a, it's a battery that during the day charges up and at night it means they can study, right? So it means wow. that when you, they come home from school, they can do some homework um, because, you know, otherwise it's pitch black. Um, so uh you know those simple simple things uh we need more energy but but uh, it's it's the 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 the, nobody's grasped the nettle really in any country around the world about how we stop burning so much fossil fuels and pumping carbon dioxide Mm. out into the the atmosphere to generate that that electricity um i think in a way we're just so we're built on fossil fuels which i said a minute a minute ago but mm. it's also we're afraid to turn towards the simple answers in renewable mm. um there's so many options out there that could if we funded them could generate jobs for people to work on these different plots but also oh, yeah it's well, it's, just... it's, well, well it's short term long term isn't it and that's the problem yeah. Yeah. Like, you know all of this stuff requires investment you know some of the investment is more risky than others it might not get its return for slightly longer but we all live for today 
um, and 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 that's a, and that's the problem, I think. Um, but 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 also, Darren, it's it's government, it's government. So well, well, uh, if if you just leave individuals to sort of do it themselves, then um, you know there'll be wonderful people like Matea who are you know motivated by more than uh, you know immediate circumstances and this kind of wider mm. context. But the vast majority of people, really, you know, we're going in a in a, a cost of living crisis. Um, the focus is not on you know 2050 or whatever, you know whatever date you want to pick it. It's, it's on today and how I feed the kids, right? Um, so, so, but so we need a government that will. And this is not meant to be political because it's you could say pretty much every country in the world. But governments that will, in some way, go. Actually, we are the ones who have to curate the long term. Yeah. We're the ones who have to put in place carbon taxes. Uh, the incentives and maybe even the laws which ban people from doing certain things and encourage people to do other things. Um, and, and without that framework, you know, we're all just lots of individuals pulling in lots of different directions. And there's a big risk that en masse we pull towards a precipice, right? As, mm. that, and, as we are. All right, there we go. <laughs> One more point, though. One more depressing go. point. Talking yeah. about values. Talking about values. I know we're strict time, but... Mm. So our government turned up at COP27, I believe it was, and they were talking about mm. signing treaties for the environment. Quickly came home, though, and invested in a new oil mine off the Scottish Hebrides and mm. a coal mine in, I think it was around the lake. Cumbria. Peak Street area, Cumbria. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's just, don't show up at one event and then quickly fly, promptly fly home and then invest in a deep-sea oil mine that's going to absolutely trash marine life produce oil yeah. spills and when you could you know it's just <laughs> that just came to mind anyway well a, a, a classic example of greenwashing surely Mateo. Yeah. well i mean look forward to cop 28 which is hosted by uh is it abu dhabi major sure oil saudi exporter or, yeah is it saudis yeah it's somewhere in the middle uh, east I, um, yeah i think they're out yeah uh, we should have done that research, shouldn't we? But um, yeah, that's uh, look forward to. I mean, what what a fantastic, you know, oil washing um, and sports washing uh, is just a major, major pastime of, of oil exporting nations. Um, so there we go. Right, Nico. Don't, never forget. Never forget, <laughs> listeners. Never forget. Never forget. Never forget. <laughs> Right. Um, what a great podcast. Thank you very much, Matea. Yeah, thank you, Matea. Yeah, well, thank really, you. really good talking to you. Yeah, and um, yeah. remind us of your website. Uh, www.re-educatingourthings.com Yeah, and if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't chatted to Matea before or read the books, then um, thoroughly recommend it. Do reach out to her. You know, it's great that you're being such a, um, a, force, for, a force for good and a force for change. So really well done and you know, I well, think both Nico, Nico and I both wish you all the success for the future on that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Right. Awesome. Darren, have you got anything coming up? Um, no, not coming up. Um, I had, um, I, um, I was speaking at the Buck um, webinar series um, earlier this week. Um, that was a live recording when we were talking about value for money. And mm -hmm. um, I think that'll be um, that that will be distributed alongside some of their other webinars um, in the coming weeks. Uh, so look out for that. That was that was great fun. Fun, great to be on a panel with Diane Day um, and being quizzed by Mark Penthley. Um, nice to nice 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 to be giving my views on BFM rather than being the host for once. It was uh, you know a, a, a bit of a nice change for me. 
Oh, Darren, I, I didn't realise that they Should we interview you at some stage? We can What's get. Uh, no, no. We... <laughs> You'd ask me all silly investment questions that I wouldn't know the oh, answer to. All so. right. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, what about you, Nico? Uh, yeah, I mean, so so nothing uh, coming up, but um, yeah, so I am standing for election for the Council of the Institution Faculty of Actuaries. Um, I think uh, we have a few actuaries who listen in. Um, uh, it would be, I, I, I think you've probably got to know me probably better than you hoped um, over the last few months uh, listening into the podcast. So um, I hope you think I'm someone who can represent you on council and yeah, the critical point is that we, we've got to get an institution that enables us to change. Um, so uh, you'll have seen my election statement if you if you can vote. Um, uh, but uh, hopefully it feels quite different. But yeah, if you if you would like to vote for me, I would very much appreciate it. Um, and if you would like to tell me why not or have any questions for me, then do reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I would, I'm really happy to chat about kind of my positioning and, and, and why I'm different. But yeah. Um, well, yeah, that runs until the 4th of September. Thank you. Um, but uh, my behavioral finance uh, kind of says vote now, vote early, vote often. I can't remember which American said that. But um, yeah, if you if you want to vote for me, just do it whilst it's fresh in your mind. Excellent. Well, good luck with that, Nico. And um, I think on that note, we really have to draw this to a close. So um, I'm you're amazing. Thank you very much. Um, really enjoyed the podcast. Um, yeah, do do go and buy Mateo's books. If you if you have anyone of who are they aimed at, what ages are are your books aimed at, Mateo? Uh, they're primary, but I think they're brilliant for the parents reading them as well. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's will Mister Sloth save the forest and will Mrs Pangolin find freedom uh, and the coloring book uh, as well. Uh, so yeah, uh, fantastic for for uh, primary age kids um and yeah look forward to you enjoying those um we've got some fantastic guests lined up over the summer too many i think for us to go through right now um and uh yeah i guess until next time it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me and mateo and it's goodbye from me as well thank you both